Okay, welcome everybody. This is Mary Craig Ministries, Craig House Christian Fellowship. We are in a series, The Gift of the Holy Spirit. Today's message is the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. I am Dr. Mary Craig. It is June 11, 2023. And let's pray. Holy Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, whose we are and whom we serve. Thank you for the body and blood sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Thank you for his life of perfect obedience, even to death on the cross. Thank you that he fulfilled all righteousness, even to dying to pay the penalty for sin, redeeming those for whom he died by his blood, the sacrifice of himself. Thank you that Jesus brought the reconciliation that overcomes alienation. Thank you that by this reconciliation, we can know you, Lord God, as Father. We thank you that Jesus bore your wrath, bore the curse, bore the sin, and bore the glory. Jesus destroyed the works of darkness, defeating Satan and his kingdom publicly. Thank you, Lord, for the sending of the Holy Spirit. We ask that the Holy Spirit come as a spirit of truth, guiding us into the truth, and come as a spirit of wisdom and revelation, revealing Jesus Christ to us and granting us wisdom for the days in which we live. Open our eyes, O God, and open our hearts to receive, and let us, uh, enable us to honor and glorify you, which is our heart's desire. Let us humble ourselves And Lord God, raise us up in righteousness and holiness as you sanctify us by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the Holy Spirit is a person, holy and without sin, who functions in a conscious state of mind and who expresses emotion in righteousness. The Holy Spirit has mind, will, and emotions. As we delve into the heart of the Holy Spirit, we will be describing particular frames of mind that he uses to express himself in order to reveal his divine purpose for a particular situation. The Holy Spirit responds differently depending upon a situation. The ultimate purpose is to reveal Jesus 
to reveal truth and to fulfill the Father's eternal plans. We are temples of the Holy Spirit as believers. Second Corinthians 3.16 In the body of Christ, and so the Holy Spirit works in us and through us for his purposes. We can cooperate better as we know more about who the Holy Spirit is and what scripture tells us about his frame of mind. <clears throat> for example, the Holy Spirit exalts Jesus Christ and so does not call attention to the vessel through whom he works. His purpose is to glorify Christ and reveal truth. So we need to learn to get out of God's way. Get out of his way. It's not about us. (laughs) Just as Jesus made himself of no reputation but walked in humility, so also the Holy Spirit is the spirit of humility revealing his devotion and love for the Father. The Holy Spirit does not make a reputation for himself or for our flesh. Others should see Jesus in us, and should God choose to use us. We want people to glory in the giver, and not that we have certain gifts or callings. Conviction. Today I want to talk about the convicting frame of mind of the Holy Spirit. Conviction can mean a firmly held belief, opinion, view, thought, persuasion, idea, position, or stance. It can also mean a formal declaration that someone is guilty in a court of law. Conviction is an act of pleading, beseeching, or reproving. When the Holy Spirit is in the frame of mind to convict someone, he comes to make us conscious of the one true and living God and to make us conscious of our human nature, our sin, our sinful ways and deeds. John 16, 8-15. And here that is. And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, past tense. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. You cannot bear them. Ah. You cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, 
and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. John 16, 8-15. Okay. And here's Greek. It's number 1651 on convict. It means to convict, refuse, or confuse. Number one, generally, with a suggestion of shame of the person convicted. Number two, by conviction, to bring to the light, to expose. And then the second big number two, no. To find fault with or correct. By word. To reprehend severely, chide, admonish, reprove. To call to account. Show one his fault, demand an explanation, and by deed, to chasten or to punish. There is a difference. To chasten means more like to purify, to make chaste. And then the other way is to punish. In conviction, the Holy Spirit comes irresistibly in love and power to show people their guilt before a holy God and to point them to Jesus Christ who alone can deliver from guilt by paying the debt note of sin in their behalf and to the Father's satisfaction sufficiently. I did have my abnormal psych uh, professor in college said, you know, forgiveness is a Christian uh, thing. Forgiveness. And so she said, psychology really has no answer for guilt. They just try to help people live with their guilt. They don't really have an answer for guilt, how to get rid of it. Um, although today in the secular world, they'll talk about, oh, you need to forgive. But forgiveness is really based on the work of Jesus Christ paying the penalty for sin of those for whom he died. So our our forgiveness comes by and through Jesus Christ. And in nations that are totally godless, there is no concept of forgiveness. There is no real whiteout, like we used to use this stuff called whiteout. And you could type over it or write over it and erase your mistake, like. Well, that's, that's, that's based on the Christian concept and the Christian reality of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But that's a whole other message. 
Conviction is not condemnation. Condemnation accuses and speaks of failure and defeat. Christ did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. John 3, verse 17, Romans 8, verse 1. The Holy Spirit starts a process of repentance unto life and inner change with his convicting power. He convicts until a person is convinced and finally repents and converts to take up truth. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit brings a person closer to Christ and away from dysfunctional despair. The Holy Spirit, through this process, brings a person out of learned helplessness and hopelessness to help and hope in Jesus Christ. Conviction produces true repentance not just crying over getting caught, but completely turning away from revealed sin. Repentance unto life is a way of life, not a one-time act. Oh, I repented. I received Christ and I repented. Well, good. And you're going to do it today, and you're going to be doing it tomorrow, and you're going to be doing it the next day, and you're going to keep on, keep on, keep on keeping on. With new revelation of truth, the Holy Spirit convicts and brings us to righteousness through repentance. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit should be welcomed in our lives as the Holy Spirit guides believers into all truth and leads them out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Even though natural man is dead in trespasses and sins, devoid of any true holiness, and by nature a child of wrath, yet he is still a rational being with a conscience, hopefully. Now, um, Romans 1, verse 32, and Romans 2, verse 15. The Holy Spirit brings sins clearly to a person's mind and conscience and makes him realize that the true condition of his soul is as a transgressor of God's holy law. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit changes the heart first through regeneration and arouses someone from a moral stupor, S-C-U-P-O-R. So Ephesians 5.14 says, Wherefore, he says, Awake, you that sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. And another version, the English Standard Version says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Even the unregenerate will have their own consciences condemn them as they stand guilty before God. 
Now, if you don't have a conscience, and you are, you are, um, you know, like a psychopath. Romans 3, verse 19. But those whose hearts have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit in the work of salvation will experience how powerful those convictions can be. And they can be very powerful. The Holy Spirit will go after specific things we have done. They're very specific. It's not some general thing that, I mean, you know, it can be. We all know what it, we're sinners, right? All of sin, blah, blah. But when the Holy Spirit goes after us in sanctification, it's very specific. It starts almost immediately after you've, um, from the time that you um, are saved, for real. And um, my little story is of of a um, going, I, I did this, I admit it. <laughs> Strictly kingdom business. All right, so... I went to this garage sale or yard sale, whatever it was, and there were two tags on this crazy little thing. One was for 50 cents and the other tag was for a quarter. And I did. I took the 50 cent tag off and I went up there and paid 25 cents. And I'm telling you, as soon as it got in my car and started to drive home, the Holy Spirit started convicting me and that that was a sin and I did wrong and oh my goodness, it was, it was incredible. And it was, I realized this is not going to stop or let up until I go back and tell the woman running that garage sale what I had done and hand her the 25 cents that essentially I stole from her. Okay, so I, so I did that. Well, she, she couldn't believe I did that. And what happened was she wanted to know why I would do that. She kind of thought it was funny. And that was my entrance into giving her the gospel because I had to explain it. And so I don't know. I'm not going to say, oh, she received Christ, and from that day forward her life was glorious and rosy and blah, blah, blah. But she received the gospel, and uh, she had that to remember that incident, that nutty woman who came back and insisted that she take the quarter. Because I said, if you don't take the quarter, and I don't make this right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on the top of the Holy Spirit's list, so to speak, until this gets made right. <laughs> anyway, so that's my story. Uh, my personal satisfaction, my personal salvation testimony. Um, is one of alarming apprehension 
of danger, frightful images of terror, hell becoming real, fear of dying without Christ, a real spiritual conviction of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. I was especially convicted and indicted for unbelief. That was a specific one, unbelief. Beyond conviction is being convinced and truly converted. We must remember this. A person can acknowledge hell, experience deep conviction of sin, be quite conscious of the rebellion against the holy God, be convinced of the justice of God, and become very zealous to escape the torments of hell under self-preservation and take up, quote, religion, but never surrender to Jesus as Lord and so continue in a false peace. The Holy Spirit regenerates the heart. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. Remember, Whoever or whatever is your Lord is the one in control of your destiny. The Holy Spirit in conviction is occupied more with sin itself than with punishment. Better to be honest. I can't emphasize that enough. Don't even try to pull, to get one over on the Holy Spirit. Don't, please, don't even try to lie to the Holy Spirit. Please don't think that all your manipulations and your this behavior and that behavior is going to change the Holy Spirit. God doesn't change. Better to be honest. Just be honest. If you're not used to being honest, the relationship with the Holy Spirit is the best place there is to learn how to be honest because God's love does no harm and God is not a liar and he he doesn't, he has policies but he doesn't repent. He doesn't change. So be honest. Be humble. And without presumption, don't presume. Oh, God will just do this. God will do whatever. Don't presume. Don't just presume you're this or that. It is Satan who wants to beat people up with condemnation. Luke 11, verse 21. God is after true repentance that follows true conviction of sin. Psalm 51, 3. God reproves. Psalm 50, verse 21. 
The Holy Spirit pierces the heart. Acts 2, verse 37. The Holy Spirit in conviction unveils the evil nature of sin. He gets specific, not general, as in anxiety. An example would be in Jeremiah 32, verse 33. The Spirit causes a person to see and feel that he has forsaken the way of life and preferred to worship the creature rather than the Creator and has wanted to indeed kill the Creator and take its place. A person's soul becomes overwhelmed with the multitude of sins committed until it breaks under the weighing process. Isaiah 1, verse 6. A person comes to see himself as the Word declares him to be without Christ. And here's what we are. A dirty, rotten, scoundrel, sinner, worm, and no man, and dust. That's what we are. The soul that sins must surely die. Sin is proud rebellion against God, cosmic treason, and offense deserving of death and eternal separation from life and blessing. Then the Holy Spirit convicts a person of the character and nature of God. The pure light of God shines upon the soul and into the conscience over against the darkness that horrifies the soul. God is holy. I am undone, Isaiah 6. Oh boy, I am undone. Unclean and ingrate, abusing God's goodness, spurning his grace and mercy, preventing his, perverting his truth. I think it's in Proverbs. I don't know, that's wrong. One of the minor prophets, God says, and often God says, come to me with these words. One of those places says, bring me these words. I have perverted your truth and it has not profited me. So there we go. We acknowledge. We come to realize We are on a collision course headed for destruction. The Holy Spirit uses the sharp knife of the law to circumcise the heart, pierce the conscience, and convict until all iniquity is laid bare. Corruption is uncovered. Putrefaction can no longer be covered by license, by incense, 
excuse me, I have a very hard time seeing anymore. <laughs> but I get there. Putrefaction can no longer be covered by incense and perfumes. And the light of God reveals a core of evil hiding in the darkness. We see and feel our wretchedness. I prayed for someone years and years ago, and that's what the Holy Spirit revealed. It was that one word, putrefaction. And uh, it's smelly. And and many times you see people, they've got incense burning all around in their houses um, and perfumes and whatever. Nothing, nothing's going to really take away the smell of demons. I'm just saying. We smell the stench. We hear the word. We taste the gall. When the Holy Spirit moves to salvation, a person cannot resist his grace. The Holy Spirit humbles himself to enter our depraved hearts and to cause us to be born out of God once. He endures who we are in order to apply the accomplished work of Christ to our souls. He stoops to convict us of sin. He is the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. Let's listen to Isaiah 4, verses 3 to 6. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood or bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering or canopy and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from the storm and rain. The spirit of judgment, that's the end, Isaiah 4, 3 through 6. The spirit of judgment meets with and detects sin, condemns it, and flames forth to consume it. What the spirit of judgment condemns, the spirit of burning sets on fire, and consumes the filth exposed, is unable to stand before his devouring flame. I've experienced that fire, and you have to learn 
to embrace that fire. I'm not talking about zeal. They always like to interpret that as zeal. I'm talking about sanctification. I'm talking about God making us holy. The spirit of burning. Second Corinthians seven, ten to eleven. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Consider what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what zeal, what vindication. In every way you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this manner. So there we have it. Earnestness, eagerness, indignation, alarm, longing, and concern are all produced by the flaming forth of the spirit of judgment under the gospel as attending godly sorrow for sin. John 15, verses 1 to 3. I am the true... This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. John 15, verses 1 to 4. And here we need to remember, this is not about temporal wealth. This is about who will bear the fruit of righteousness in the kingdom of God. This is about character. Things like integrity. being conformed to the moral image of Jesus Christ. Here's a quote from J.C. Philpot, 1869. Quote, By the word of the Lord the soul is cleansed, for with the word of the Lord goes forth the spirit of judgment. But with that spirit of judgment and following close upon it, is the spirit of burning in a holy indignation and fiery zeal against that filth which is thus discovered. So it's not that the spirit of burning produces some zeal in the sense of, oh, we're all really motivated. No, the Holy Spirit is really motivated. Our God is a consuming fire, and the Holy Spirit is really motivated to get that out. To come against 
that sin. The convicting process of the Holy Spirit defends against error, evil, temptations, and enemies until sin is seen, acknowledged, confessed, mourned, and repented of. One does not sense the glorious presence of the Holy. Then the glory will be a defense when you do perceive it. That glory shall be a defense as God guards and defends his own gracious work. Our God is a consuming fire. It is to be welcomed by those covered by the blood of Christ, covered by his righteousness, perfect love casts out fear. Unbelief is the root of all sin. The Holy Spirit moving in conviction helps us battle unbelief and fight the good fight of the faith. Let's listen to 2 Corinthians 7, 1-7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And now this part is about the Corinthians' repentance. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. Do not say, I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech for you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire your mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. Second Corinthians 7, 1 through 7. And then Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
for he who promises faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Finally, we consider 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. The end, tell us in Greek, the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, that the faith without hypocrisy, a faith that is sincere, without disguise, no putting on the mask. Oh, everything's just fine. And then you get the Cheshire cat smile. (laughs) The end is that by which a thing is finished the limit at which a thing ceases to be, the end to which all things relate as purpose and or aim. So that's the purpose, the goal of the commandment, namely love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, a faith that is without hypocrisy, that is sincere and that is without Disguise. See, Lucifer is the one that masquerades as an angel of light. The masquerade. They put on a mask. That's the disguise part. Our lives as true believers simply go better when we understand what the Holy Spirit's up to and we cooperate or get with the program, may we not have to go around the mountain again and again before we get the pattern. Everything we need for life and godliness is in the word of the living God. Amen. And for our prayer, I'm just going to declare out Second Peter 1, verses 2 to 4. Lord God, I bring this passage from Second Peter before you, that you may perform this in the lives of all those who hear this message. And, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory. Thank you for not leaving us in darkness and evil and doing evil. Thank you for the light. Thank you for sanctifying us that we might be closer to you that you might shine on us, O God. In your light, we see light. 
Thank you, Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these he has given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature now that you have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Second Peter 1, verses 2-4. Thank you, Lord God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, King of kings and Lord of lords, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And now if you please stand for the benediction. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of the peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.